This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a supplemental episode of Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. Supplemental, but still good. <laughs> still great. Amazing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, for people who haven't maybe haven't been listening very long, we typically do 10 incidents slash accidents and then take a little bit of time to research the next batch of episodes. And in that intermediate time, we, uh, we do supplemental content, still all aviation related. Sometimes we talk about movies. Sometimes we just talk about other ancillary aviation things. And it's just a way to, to keep producing content while we're not doing what I would say like our like core episodes. Yeah. And one episode we did last year, a little over a year ago, is we talked about the process of becoming a pilot and learning how to fly. Yeah, because Gus, you just started taking uh, lessons about what, like a few months prior? Uh, like shortly before that. I think at the time we did that episode, I had about 10 hours of flight time, if I remember right. Now I'm up to like 140. I have a pilot license and I'm working on what they call an instrument rating. And we've talked about this before. What that does is that... The, the kind of license you get initially allows you to fly clear of clouds, basically. You're, you're uh, spoiling some of the questions I have. Oh, oh, oh okay. okay. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to give, I'm just, try, I'm just, you're right, you're right. I'm just trying to give an overview, but you're right. What, what, well, in that case, what questions do you have, Chris? Wait, but before we do that, because uh, yeah, we're, what we're going to do is I'm just going to, we're going to talk with Gus about like how it's been going through lessons and what he's about to do since then. But be sure to uh, check out our merch it's holidays time. It's a great gift stuff. There's probably some really good sales going on right now. And if not, it's a really good gifts regardless. Yeah, we got uh, uh, you know, shirts, mugs, stickers. We also have you know our premium memberships, which you can find out more information about at blackboxdownpod.com. Or you can you know look on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for more information on that. You get episodes early and ad-free. But of course, that's on top of uh, merchandise, which is all great. Uh, I, love, I love all of the merch that we have. We have like fun merch that's like uh, the bad attitude shirt, which is a plane flying upside down with mm-hmm. a, a, a frowny face. Your bad attitude has upset me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we also have like more uh, just cool like schematics and things of planes. And I wore one of those shirts when I took my test to get my pilot license. <laughs> <laughs> I wore the your bad attitude has upset me with the uh, upside down attitude indicator. Yeah. Please uh, consider getting some merch for you or uh, a friend or loved one. And you can find that information in our link tree, or you can go to store.roosterteeth.com, and there's a section under podcasts for Black Box down there. Yeah. Anyway, on with the show. So you had 10 hours to 150, right? Yeah. So I think I had about uh, 10 hours when we did the previous episode. Now I'm, I'm about, I think I want to say I'm about 140 hours or so in at this point. Okay. So what would you say is the, like, from the initial, oh, I'm in a plane, I'm working on it, to like, actually getting more confident like what were those steps like any big milestones or things that you're like stuck out to you and that because how many hours was it to take your lesson or your test so everyone's different right like some people do it really fast some people do it slow and it's there it can take a long time to schedule your test as well so i'm giving all these caveats just to kind of give background and i had scheduled my test initially at one time but due to a mechanical problem on the plane I was going to take my test in, I wasn't able to take the test and I had to reschedule it. So that put, I got delayed a few months because of problems like that. Oh, I think when I finally took my test and received my certificate, I was at about uh, 90 hours or so. Okay. And how hard is it to, like, is, is the process of schedule, you have to schedule it in advance or is like... Yeah, so 
the way that you typically do it is, you know, you, you can contact the FAA and uh, you know, take the test with someone who works for the FAA. Uh, but in reality, very few people do that because there's very few people who work at the FAA that can do that kind mm-hmm. of thing. However, there are people who are what they call designated pilot examiners uh, or DPEs. And these are people who have been given the authority by the FAA to conduct the tests. Oh. Yeah. So um, there are, you know, in the Austin area, or you know, we're based out of Austin, there are several different DPEs you can get in touch with to do your uh, exam. Right now, for example, if, if you were to contact a DPE right now, uh, granted, right, we're, 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 we're taping this right before Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. So if you were to try to contact a DPE right now to get your exam, you would probably be looking at mid to late January to get your, to when you would be scheduled to take your test. About two months. Okay, so that's, oh, I was curious because you said, oh, there was a thing with a plane and it took you a couple more months. It's like, man, that must be. Yeah, uh, so he, the, the DPE actually worked with me to try to get me rescheduled quickly. I want to say between the time that I had to reschedule and the time that I actually ended up retaking the test, it was probably about four weeks, I want to say. Okay. So he tried to get me back in as quickly as I could, but still, they're just, they're very busy. Lots of times, it's not like their full-time job. You know, they may have another mm, job yeah. in the aviation industry and then, in their free time, they may conduct these exams. Again, that's kind of a generalization. Every DPE in every situation is a little different. And I, I'm sorry, you know, PLA, pilots love acronyms. That's why I had <laughs> DPE. Like, I, I'm going to try to do my best to, uh, to, to not over-acronym this episode. From the initial kind of getting your bearings in the plane to, like, getting up to where you're taking your test, what were, like, big things that, like, stuck out to you or th- were you like, oh, wow, I feel like I'm getting a handle on this or... So I think initially when you start, the big thing is like task saturation, like being overwhelmed with so many things you have to do. And it's kind of a weird thing to say, but not knowing where to look and when to look there. Mm. Like if you think about it, when you're driving, you've been driving long enough. You, you reach a point where when you're driving, you know, without looking at the speedometer, you know about how fast you're going. Yeah. You know, you know when to turn your signal light on, when, when to look over your shoulder, when to make the lane change, when to turn the signal light off. Like that stuff kind of becomes ingrained in second nature. Yeah, you don't so, think about driving so much as it's just a thing you do. Right. You've, you've, you've practiced it enough to where ideally you're very safe at it and you're, you're good at it. So when you start, you know, trying to fly a plane, you're having to learn all of that stuff. Like when do I you know, need to accelerate? When do I need to decelerate? When do I need to look at my instruments? When do I need to be looking over here? It's a lot of like, tr- when do I need to be talking on the radio? When do I need to change my frequency? What is the next frequency? Like you have to memorize <laughs> a lot of things. And uh, that, that's initially, I think a lot of the, like the scary part of it, like not knowing yeah. all of this stuff. And it's tough because when you first start taking lessons, like one of the first things you learn is takeoffs and landings. And without a doubt, landing is the hardest thing to learn. You know, it's going to take a long time to learn how to land a plane. And everyone's different. You know, some people get a hand, a, a hold on it right away. Personally, I was very dumb. It took me a long time <laughs> uh, to learn how to land. And uh, it's frustrating because you can't fly a solo flight until, you know, obviously you can take off and land in a safe manner. So that's like, I think that's like the first big milestone is, you know, being able, being able to solo. And the first time you do that, typically the way it works in most places is, you know, your instructor will think you're ready. Then, you know, you'll go up in a regular lesson a couple times and, you know, take off and, and land. jumps out. <laughs> <laughs> well, then on one of the landings, your instructor will say, you know, pull off onto the taxiway. I'm going to get out. Then the instructor gets out and says, okay, go take off and land three times. I'm going to be here on the ground watching. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's, it's pretty scary the first, the first yeah. time. How far along were you when that happened? I want to say uh, when I finally did that, I was probably about 
between 25 and 30 hours in. Oh, that's that's pretty that's pretty early it seems like. I don't know. I mean, I I, I have no like some people some people do it really quickly. Some people uh like my instructor, obviously like he trained he this was his goal, right? Like he's yeah. uh he wants to be a pilot. He did he said he did his solo I think about like 11 or 12 hours in. Oh, wow. So some people like if they're really focused and they're really working at it, they can do it quickly. Uh like I said, I was I was a little slow. Uh but I don't you know, there's everyone just learns a little different a little different speed, you know. If I was learning, that would not be a thing that I would be like, I want to rush to. I'd be like, I'm fine with having yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the things I kept saying repeatedly was, I'm not trying to rush this. I want to make sure I learn it. I want to make sure I know it well. I don't want to do anything dangerous. I want to make sure that I'm really mastering everything along the way. Like, I'm not trying to like take a shortcut or do anything yeah. as quickly as possible. I want to make sure that it's as thorough as possible. Mm -hmm. And then what was the most surprising thing from that that you encountered that you're like well, as you got better i think the most surprising thing is eventually when you start it, it's 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 like learning anything right it's like eventually you start learning and memorizing stuff mm -hmm. you know when you first when, when i first started you know i i trained out of austin bergstrom which is like the airport for austin so there's lots of you know big commercial flights taking off and landing all the time and when you're flying in the austin area there's many frequencies you have to talk between like I think, you know, just off the top of my head, I want to say that if I'm going to be flying in the Austin area, there's probably like six frequencies I want to have memorized. And uh, eventually you reach a point where you realize you have it all memorized and you know what you're supposed to be saying when you have to talk on the radio. Like I used to have little scripts written down on my iPad. Uh -huh. be like, like, oh, when they say this, I need to reply this. or I need to ask <laughs> this, like, like little prompts, right? Uh -huh. Be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And then eventually, like, you know, one flight. I was like, oh, you know what? I didn't have to look it up this time. I, I was able to like, I knew the frequency. I knew to, you know, what to say when I talked to them. They, they responded and I knew, like, I knew the back and forth. Yeah. That's like the first like, oh, wow, I'm actually really kind of doing this moment. <laughs> so Gus took me out for a flight last Friday, which was super cool. That was the first time other than skydiving, when I went skydiving, the first time I was like in a non commercial like smaller plane yeah and i don't know it was super cool just the whole thing and but i was gonna say while we were just the whole th time you would talk so fast and and i was like <laughs> you, it, you, it sounded so legit gus like i i couldn't i was like you'd be like i I'd be like blah, 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 alpha bravo blah, 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 and i was like and, and you said it with such it was so fluid and it was impressive. I'll say that. <laughs> well, if you think about it, like um, if you think about talking to air traffic controller using the radio, it's like, you know, using a walkie talkie, right? If one person's talking, that means nobody else can be talking at that moment. So the goal here when you're talking to Austin, the Austin Tower, is to convey the information as quickly and clearly as possible. Mm -hmm. Because if I end up stumbling or taking my time or going slow, then someone else might need to talk. And they have to wait for us to finish our conversation before they can jump in. And in fact, you saw that uh, firsthand. Remember after yeah, we landed yeah, in Austin? Yeah. I was like, I needed to tell them we were ready to taxi. But it's like, so many flights were talking. Some people were like, um, uh, like I really haven't slowed. I was, you, could, you could probably say I was getting frustrated. There was like a, it must have been like, like 120 seconds almost, I feel like, of straight talking where you're, we were just sitting there and you were waiting for a break. Yeah. So you want, that's why you like, you need to learn how to talk quickly and clearly. And that's one of the advantages, uh, in my opinion, of learning to fly at a busy airport like Austin. You know, for example, you could take lessons at 
there's a smaller airport in Austin called Executive. We flew by it. Uh, I pointed it out to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could take lessons out of Executive. You could take lessons out of like any small untowered airport in the area, but you don't learn to be as as uh, quick and on the spot with the radios, I think. And I think that's one of the benefits of learning at Austin is really learning the radio work and nailing it and being good with it. Yeah, well, and even just being able to like getting practice of maneuvering with so many planes in the sky and coming up and going. And it's like, it was intimidating for me and I, I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> one of the things that I'm curious to ask you about this. Uh-huh. One of the things that I thought was neat when I first started flying, you know, this process of, of getting a pilot license was finally when taking off and landing, being able to look out the front of the plane, looking at the front windshield, you know, as a passenger in the back of the plane, all you ever get to look at is the side. Mm, yeah. When you're, when you're landing and taking off this time, it's like, oh, you can see exactly where you're going <laughs> and you can see, you know, the runway coming up to meet you and touching down and the other planes waiting. And, uh, that's one of my favorite things actually, when I, when I first started flying was being able to, you know, as you're coming into land, being able to see the runway, see the other planes waiting to go and be like, oh, like this is to me, that's really cool. That's a really cool point of view and a really cool, um, perspective. Yeah, it was very cool. And it was weird to, I hadn't, thought about the fact that I had never been in that position before. Even when I went skydiving, I wasn't in like, yeah. And I was also way preoccupied with the fact that I was jumping out of a plane. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, and like, I remember um, little, little things. Like I went to, uh, I don't know if I was taking a picture or video and it's like, you don't see the propellers at all because they're moving so fast. Yeah. But then whenever I held my phone up to it, because of like the, the refresh rate and stuff, all, all of a sudden you could see the propellers like, you know, yeah. things, little things like that. And also what, another thing that was weird to me was when you're like taking off, all you see is sky, which is kind of scary, right? <laughs> like, yeah, because you're just kind of your angle is up so that like you feel like you want to look that you want to see like almost the ground. I don't know, but you're just all you see is just like going up. I actually that, that's a that's a good segue to talk about something. So when you and I went up, Chris, it was a, it was a cooler day. You know, the mm-hmm. temperature was uh, was cooler. And then I pointed out, you know, we were cruising at what we were at like at four thousand feet or so. It was like thirty eight degrees outside uh, at that altitude. When you fly in, the the planes perform very differently in warm weather versus cold weather. And when you know we went, like I said, it was a cool day, so the performance was very enhanced on that plane. A good way to think about it is like the air is more dense. There's more air molecules for the propeller to bite into. There's yum. more air for the wing, <laughs> yum, for the wing to to generate lift with. Uh-huh. So you're able to climb at a much greater rate than you could normally, like oh. in the summer. In in Austin, it's you know it gets pretty hot. So climb performance is uh, significantly affected. So when you and I flew the other day and we were taking off from Austin, our climb rate, you know, we were flying the Cessna 172. We were climbing at probably like between 1,200 to 1,400 feet a minute, which is pretty aggressive for a plane like that. In the summer, you know, when it's really hot here, heat of the day, if we were flying at that same time, like in August, at that same time of day, I would probably expect us to get 700 feet a minute of climb performance. So, you know, we're looking at easily double the performance. So that means we're pitched back even further than normal. That's what that's to say. That's why we're pitched so far back. Uh, That's why our angle of attack is so great. Because, you know, there is so much uh, greater performance, so much better lift on a cold day. Yeah. You think about weather and you're like, oh, is it raining or or the clouds or the wind? But you don't think about the density of the air. Or I hadn't thought about yeah. that. In fact, you know? that's, actually, that's actually what they call it. They call it density altitude. So 
I, I explained some of these things to you when we were flying, but I didn't explain density altitude. So I, I explained how, you know, sea level, you know, is at zero feet and that the Austin airport is roughly 500 feet above sea level. So even when you're on the ground at the airport here, it says, you know, your altimeter says 500 feet because you're 500 feet above sea level. Uh, one of the things that pilots also look at and that the ATIS will frequently give is what they call density altitude. So, you know, sea level's at zero. The Austin airport is roughly at 500 feet above sea level. Then you look at your density altitude, which is a calculation that takes into effect or into account the temperature uh, and kind of the humidity and gives you a calculation of what the equivalent altitude is like. So uh, when it's cold, like today, right now, I'm going to look at my the temperature. Right now, outside, it's like 50 degrees. The density altitude at the Austin airport is negative 250 feet. So the aircraft performs as if it's 250 feet below sea level. So the air is that okay. dense. The air is much more dense huh. than normal. You know, in the summer, when it's hot, the density altitude might be 3,000 feet here. So the aircraft performs as if it's 3,000 feet above the ground. That's weird to think about. It's performing as if it's at this altitude. That's Right. And that's something you have to think about because a higher density altitude will make it so that you need longer, you need more runway to take off. Your climb rate's not as great. And if it gets severe enough, you might have to adjust your mixture. And that is one thing I talked with you about. Oh, uh, yeah. You have to adjust in that kind of plane. You adjust your fuel mixture so that you have an optimal fuel to air ratio combusting in the engine. Yeah. Uh, that was one thing I was I, I surprised, or I don't know, surprised is the right word, but how much you were paying attention to, yeah, just like adjusting how much fuel is in the plane, like at any given time. I guess not in the plane, but in the engine, yeah, th that ratio. Yeah, you want to make sure that there's a correct air to mixture ratio or air to fuel ratio. I want to say off the top of my head, it's like a 13 to 1 ratio that you need to maintain. Mm -hmm. And you, there's several different ways you can tell it, but... The primary way, well, <laughs> I don't want to get too technical here, but one of the ways you can, you can uh, do it is by monitoring the, the temperature in your cylinders. And uh, so it's like you, you keep an eye on that and make sure you keep it within an, uh, an acceptable range because too much, well, fuel helps to kind of cool the cylinders as well. Uh, remember, because they're firing all the time. They're creating little explosions. That's what, you know, that's how engines work. Uh, so it's like if you have too little fuel, there's not enough cooling going on. The temperature goes up. If you have too much fuel, the temperature goes down a little further. So you kind of find a sweet spot that you want to have your uh, fuel mixture at. One thing, and this is might be a little of a tangent, but that was the first time I, I was on a private section of an airport, if that makes sense. Yeah, like the, uh, they call them FBOs, fixed base operators. Yeah. But yeah, like where uh, people go, like private jets pull up and yeah. you know, that's where like, yeah, yeah. So rich people go to the airport yeah. instead of the terminal like the rest of us. That was a new experience for me. It's like going in. It was basically kind of like going into like a mini baby airport that was like a big, you know, lobby and stuff. But then we like immediately walked onto where all the planes are. We're just like there. And but it's all, you know, smaller planes. And then we walked around into the different areas. But then just that process of like, oh, yeah, this is this is what it's like. Just you just kind of walk right into the plane kind of or walk up to it and. There's not like security, you know? Yeah, it's um, so it, it's kind of a, a misnomer, right? Like it appears that there's no security, uh huh. But the the reason for that is that they've already vetted me, and I'm in the system. Like you, I'm sure yeah. you noticed when we walked in, we walked up to the desk, and I was like, "Hey, they recognize me. I, I you know, I fly there a lot." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm going down to you know where the plane rentals are. Is my passenger, and they've already done when you when I started the process of becoming a pilot." You know, they 
scan my passport. They do the check on me and they, you know, they kind of make sure I'm okay to go through. And so when you went through as my passenger, I kind of vouch for you. Like he's also okay. And it's not like we're getting on a big commercial plane with hundreds of people. It's like, we're going to go get in the plane, just the two of us yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and puts around. So and, that's and why we are coming right back. Like we weren't going, yeah. but that's definitely worth pointing out. But it was still like, just an interesting experience of like going to get on a plane and just kind of like walking. Yeah. We didn't through. have to take our shoes off. We didn't yeah. have to like pull your liquids out. It's like, Hey, it's me. You're going down there. Yeah, I'm going down. Okay. And then like, they just hit a button and the door opens for us. Which I guess is like, that's the, one of the benefits of like rich people, like having flying private planes and stuff is you get, you, you get that expedited, you know, process. The plane doesn't leave without you if you're late. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the one thing that I thought was super cool and, you know, we talk all this time about like the checklist and, and the prep is seeing you go through and like do your checklist to like fly it. And then like seeing you do all the little checks of, of, you know, checking the fuel, checking, like you could explain better <laughs> all the little things, but just like little things that like you're checking for cracks and, and you like felt the plane and how do you, yeah. uh, you yeah. like, you know, if you feel the propeller, make sure that it's you know smooth and there's no nicks or cracks in there. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. And that's one of the things we emphasize in this podcast all the time is the importance of checklists and the importance of these checklists exist for a reason. There's, you know, the importance of following them and, and looking at them. And, you know, it's not only, I'm sure you know, it's not only about, you know, pulling out the little checklist and running it on the ground. You do them in the air too. I'm sure you saw me do it mm -hmm, all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, we took off, you know, pull it out. We did read the checklist, checklist complete. And I probably look like a lunatic talking to myself, right? Like, all right <laughs> no. you know, check this, check this, you know, no, uh, cruise check complete, you know, just like constantly uh, picking up the checklist and running it at different phases of flight. It was so thorough, I guess is also, because it's not like it's your plane. Right. So I'm sure they have you know, maintenance and they check on it all the time, but just seeing like every, you did every little thing and checked everything. It's, it's, you know, it's, I often strive when we do the podcast to make as many analogies to driving a car as possible, yeah. just because that's something everyone's familiar with. And it's not, in this case, it's not like driving a car because if, if a light comes on or something goes, goes wrong, you can't just pull over to the shoulder or, yeah. you know, pull off the road and figure out what's going on. You're like, you, that's, that's, that's impossible. Yeah. So you need, if there's anything wrong or anything out of the ordinary, you need to find it on the ground before you get started. Yeah, and I think I, I think I said something similar. Like I couldn't imagine doing this every time yeah. I drive my car, like because it's like yeah, checking the oil. Check, it's like you know, from beginning to end. I know we were also probably you're explaining things to me, so it probably took longer than it might. But like how just from walking out, assuming everything is you know copacetic, how long would that take? A typical pre-flight, you know, might take me ten minutes. It's not super fast, but it's not like super yeah. long either. You know, you want to make sure you're thorough and that everything's okay. Yeah. And we, you probably, it was probably double that for, because you were like explaining everything and I was asking questions, but it, it's just like when you think about, yeah, you going into a car and like, you don't, you don't check anything. You just get in. Yeah. No, you, you definitely have to check a lot. Oh, oh, one thing that you were saying that when we were up flying and we were, we were just talking, like you showed me like the ring that of the plane like how far we could glide if the engine just shut off, right? Which I thought was super cool. And and then you'd be like, oh, now we're when we were coming back, we were higher. So like now the ring is bigger. Like we have we could glide further, which I thought was super cool. Just like just seeing everything in action. But like one thing you're saying that uh, while you're training is like, yeah, they would just like your instructor would just shut the engine off and be like, okay, what do you do? Right. 
without saying anything. It wouldn't be like, okay, now we're going to do the shut the engine off test. Right. <laughs> Initially, when you start, they, they, they will say that. Like, if you lost your engine right now, what do you do? And the engine's still on. Like, you, you go through it. And, but then as the training progresses, yeah, they will just pull the throttle idle and be like, oops, your engine died. <laughs> and then it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> you got you to gotta figure it out. You know, so it's a matter of learning to deal with that very quickly. The, in that case, there's another acronym you learn for that. The, the acronym I was taught was ABCD. It's um, A, airspeed. You pitch for best, air, for best glide airspeed in mm-hmm. the plane we're in. It's about 68 knots. B, identify the best field to land. So it's like pitch for glide speed. Where are you going to land? Run your checklist. That's C. Then D, declare emergency. Squawk uh, uh, 7700. And then tell mm-hmm. air traffic controller the emergency frequency that uh, you're having an emergency and where you're going down. And you have to do all of that in about three seconds, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, it took me longer to explain it than you actually, <laughs> actually have to do it. That's that's funny. That's crazy. In that short of a time. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, I know that I asked you to show up early before mm-hmm. the time that uh, you know I wanted us to take off because I mean, one, I knew we needed to do the pre-flight, but two, I also wanted you to see what it was like to call the weather briefer. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. So it's like any time that I'm going to fly, uh, I, I I want to talk to the weather briefer. So like on in the app and in the flight stuff, I have like I can see the weather and you know you kind of have an idea of what's going to happen and what the weather's like in the area. But there's a, a service you can contact. You can file for a weather briefing online. I didn't show you that. I, well, I kind of showed you that, but not as in-depth. But then you, there's a service you can call to talk to an actual pilot meteorologist and discuss the weather, mm-hmm. where you are along your flight path, how the weather's going to change, what the winds are. That way you can be sure and safe that it, everything's going to be okay. Because on the day we flew, it was, it was kind of overcast. The clouds were higher than we were flying, but it was also a little misty. Yeah. I was worried that we wouldn't fly when I was driving there. I was like, uh-oh. Yeah, the weather didn't, it didn't seem that bad. The, the, the rain was very, very light and very scattered. So, you know, just to be safe, you know, we called the weather briefer and talked to him and he kind of, you know, he said the exact same thing. You know, it's going to be super sporadic and light. And we barely encountered anything. I think, mm-hmm. you know, when we first left Austin, we encountered a little bit of a drizzle for like a minute and then yeah. it went away and that's it. So like, that's another like layer of safety. You know, you look at your weather, you call and actually talk to someone yeah. about the specific <laughs> route you're taking and where you're going. And they, they, you know, they tell you, you know, what's going on along that route. As someone who doesn't even check the weather most days, the idea of like, you're not just like logging in and checking something, like checking the weather. You're actually calling a meteorologist. Right. <laughs> you're getting a very specific <laughs> forecast for what you're doing at that moment. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that there's that process to do that. Yeah, and again, it's all geared towards safety and making sure everything's okay. And, you know, in an airline, they don't do that, but that's because they have their own people internally mm. that do that. Yeah. You know, the pilots will be handed a weather briefing, but the airline generates that and gives it to them. They don't actually, the pilots themselves don't actually have to call and request the weather briefing. And I think we've talked about that, you know, in some episodes where pilots are given old weather briefings oh, and the yeah, weather yeah. has changed. You know, it's all a very similar system. And, you know, when you're flying on a big passenger plane, there's you know, people dedicated specifically to doing that and handing off that information to the pilots. This episode sponsored by BetterHelp. Wouldn't it be nice if life came with a step-by-step guide on how to navigate complex situations? If that were the case, things like first dates, new jobs, becoming a parent, or any other stressful situation would be a breeze. Unfortunately, life does not come with a user manual, so when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. Thankfully, BetterHelp Online Therapy is a great option to help you work through a particularly challenging time. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. All you have to do is fill out a brief survey to get matched with a therapist in as little as 48 hours. There's also a ton of ways to actually do the sessions. You can do video calls, audio-only calls. You can even just message with your therapist if that's what you prefer. 
Uh, as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Uh, just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things are not clicking, you can easily switch a new therapist anytime. Couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more. Save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash blackboxdown. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash blackboxdown. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions when the actual total is closer to $200, and 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. I know I've forgotten about a subscription a time or two until I see that dreaded charge on my credit card for something I know I haven't been using. Uh, who knows, maybe it's for an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. Regardless of what the subscription is, you could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions you don't even know about. Thankfully, there's an app I love uh, that's taking care of that for me. Uh, it's called Rocket Money. It's formerly known as Truebill. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place and cancels for you whatever you don't still want. It's seriously that easy. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for, or you might even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. So to cancel a subscription, all you do is press cancel. Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. Seriously, you could be saving hundreds a year. That's rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. That's rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. When you're training, at what point was it like, okay, I'm ready? Or did your instructor say, I think you're ready? Or like you say, like, it takes, you know, different times for different people, how often they're flying. And, you know, there's a lot of variables. But like, what was that for you? Where you're like, you need to, you should, you should take the test now. So, um, when you're training before you can even take like the test to get your certificate, you have to take an FAA written knowledge test. So it's like, that's one of the steps, you know, mm -hmm. you fly, you solo, then after you solo flight, well, I don't, it's not a hard fast rule, but you know, the yeah. way I, it worked for me is after I did my solo flight, then I studied for an FAA knowledge test. You go and you take this test. And then if you pass it, that's like your next step. Then you keep training, you fulfill all your requirements, and then you take your test for your, your license. So I think I felt pretty confident knowledge-wise after I took the knowledge test, the yeah. written test. It was just a matter of like the, the actual practice and the actual physically learning, like the muscle memory almost, yeah. how to get everything done. And the interesting thing about that is after you take your written test, you know, it's still, it, for me, it was still quite a bit of time before I took my pilot license, uh, but my test for my pilot license. Uh, when you take your written test, they give you your score and they give you like a little report card with it. And it basically tells, it has like codes on it. And those codes tell, they basically detail what questions you missed. So Ooh. when you go to take your pilot exam, <laughs> you have to hand them that test, like that report card, and they know what questions you missed and they're going to grill you on those. Yeah. <laughs> so they have like, thank you for your weaknesses. Now I'm going right. to. <laughs> <laughs> like, We're going to make sure you really understand this. And it's like, they're going to make sure they spend extra time talking about those topics. Which is funny because I feel like a lot of times in school, and, and this varies depending upon the class is less so probably with math than maybe say like history or something you you'll take a test on something and the things that you miss you're like oh well and but you're not they don't follow up on it a lot of times you just move right. on to the next thing you don't have to you're not backwards accountable <laughs> right no not not here you're <laughs> they're definitely going to ask you about it they're going to they're going to make sure so that's why you kind of want to make sure you know your stuff before you even take the FA written test. So you're not going to just like barely pass. You want to make sure you're going to yeah. pass like with authority. Like you really know it. So it's like you take, you know, you, I have books that help me prepare for it. I have like an app on my phone that would like give me 
example questions. Like I really wanted to know. I, God, off the top of my head, I don't remember. I want to say I got like a 93 on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember. So, and when the follow-up questions weren't that bad, you know, by the time I went to take my pilot license test. Just the idea of taking a test is, it's so, it's been so long. <laughs> Chris, I'd forgotten how to study. Uh, that, that was the weird thing to me was like, using study aids and reading a book and like trying to be like, I need to remember this information. It had been a long time since like I took a test. That was, that was the weird part to me. Yeah. And I was just, while we were talking about this, like thinking about taking even my driving test. That was so long ago. I don't, Mm -hmm. I remember being nervous and doing it, but like, and that's way less pressure, but just the idea of like moving a big vehicle and being judged on it. It's like, it's kind of scary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. I don't I don't remember taking I remember taking driver's ed. I don't remember taking my driving test itself yeah. though. Was there a point where your your instructor was like, I think you're ready, or you did you say you're ready, or was it just kind of a Yeah, he told me. So then after, you know, I did the knowledge test, you know, we got to a point where uh I did enough landing. So like I said, the first thing you learn is like takeoff and landing. Uh you have to do all this knowledge test stuff. And then there are specific maneuvers you need to learn how to do. That you, when you take your pilot license test, you must demonstrate those maneuvers to the exam mm-hmm. paper. So when you get, when you take your test to get your license, you know, first you go through what they call the oral portion and you sit down with the examiner for a couple hours. Uh, I think mine was about two hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. He just grills you questions about what does this mean? What does that mean? You know, hypothetical scenarios, explain this law, explain that law. And, uh, you know, when the oral test is done, then it's like, okay, well, let's go fly. Then you go out and then the examiner will watch you pre-flight the plane then he'll tell you, all right, you know, before, like the day before he sent me an email that was like, plan a flight from, you know, this airport to this airport. So he'll watch you pre-flight the plane. We're like, all right, let's go. Let's take off on the route that you planned. And then he'll, he'll watch you. And then as you're flying, he'll ask you questions. Then, you know, when that's done, he'll be like, okay, now it's time to go demonstrate the maneuvers. And then you have to demonstrate the maneuvers that are required to within certain specifications. And then, you know, if you do all that, fine, then you land and you're like, all right, congratulations, you're a pilot. Are there any like surprises i guess like where he's like trying to catch you off guard like again like as an example when when your instructor would be like oh the engine died so those are part of the things you need to learn so uh it's it's not as dramatic but you uh-huh. know for example like i said you know the exam giver will say you know plan a flight from point a to point b then as you're executing that flight from point a to point b partway through he'll say uh oh your passenger's having a heart attack what are you going to oh. do <laughs> oh my god yeah, it's like, oh, then you need to show. Like, we're going to divert. We're going to land at this airport. And then, you know, you, you'll do that, divert and land at that airport and take off again. And as you're flying, they'll say, uh-oh, your engine's on fire. What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, like, it's like that. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, and it's like, okay, then you simulate, like, engine fire and you go through the procedure. So, yeah, it, 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 they definitely do test you on those things. Yeah, but you kind of know what roughly... Yeah, there's a there's a document. They call it the ACS. It's the Airman Certification Standards. Uh-huh. And uh, that's what you're graded against. It's like it, the ACS outlines all of the maneuvers you need to do and what the tolerances for those maneuvers are. Some DPEs may not test you on every single one, but you need to be prepared to demonstrate every single thing in the ACS. And that being said, that being said, I really want to add a real big asterisk there. They are supposed to test you on every single one. I tested on every single one. I have heard stories where some DPEs do not test on all of them. That was not the case in my exam. I have okay. to do everything. <laughs> and I would assume, and I might be wrong, you have to pass every single one of them. It's not like, oh, you didn't do that, but you average. Like It's not like a, a test where, yo, know, if you get a 70 or higher, you pass. I imagine you have to do all of the things to a certain level of, of passing. And if you fail one of them, then it's like, oh, you can't pass the test as a whole. Is that 
You are entirely correct, Chris. Yes. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> on, on the oral portion, of course, like, I don't know what the threshold there is. Um, I, you're supposed to be able to answer everything. I don't like, I don't want to brag, but I was able to. So I don't know what it's like <laughs> if, you, if you're not able to answer something. Uh, but yeah, definitely on the flying portion. Uh, if you mess up a maneuver or like if you do, there are no do-overs. If you mess it up, it's instantly, okay, that's the end of the test. Let's head back to the airport. Oh man, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's not just like, oh, you did good enough. So like some of the maneuvers, you know, like for example, I'll, I'll name one off the top of my head. Like for example, you have to demonstrate steep turns. It's like you have to do a 45 degree banked turn, 360 degrees in one direction, level off, then do 360 degrees in the other direction. And it has to be within a certain airspeed and plus or minus 100 feet of altitude. So it's like if you bust that altitude or you bust the speed or you don't bank far enough or you bank too far, any one of those, that's it. You fail. Test over. It's not like, oh, well, let me start over and try. It's like, oh, you have to reschedule. You have to like, and you said rescheduling yours was because it was a, a technical, you know, a plane thing. Took about four weeks. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh. Yeah, it's it's tough. And then the other difficult aspect, especially here, you know, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, it gets hot here in Texas, is it's very turbulent in the heat of the day. And I took my exam in July, oh. which was, yeah, really hot. The So it's very turbulent. Oh, a lot of, you know, thermals and it's very difficult to, to nail your altitude. So mm. I said it was like taking the test on hard mode because <laughs> you're constantly getting battered and pushed around as you're trying to like maintain these very, in some cases, very tight tolerances on your altitude and make sure you do it uh, proficiently. And this is some, because we talked about it a lot. Like if you're flying in a, in a more remote, smaller airport, how much, was there a portion of the test that was like, I don't know, radio comm, like navigation like that kind of stuff oh that that's a good question no i don't believe anything like that was covered i mean obviously the dpe is listening to you and watching you do all your radio calls i assume Mm -hmm. you can get disqualified for that but i don't think there was anything specifically we covered about radio work because of a lot of places and i kind of briefly touched on this with you when we flew the other day in certain scenarios and certain airspaces you do not need a radio in a plane legally to fly yeah, that, which is crazy to me. Right, it you don't need to crazy. talk to anyone. You don't need to talk to anyone. You don't need to do anything. So I don't believe radio work is something that's there in the ACS. If you think about it, like a crop duster pilot mm. who lands at a remote yeah. field and just goes out and dusts crops might never need to talk to anyone. They might not even have a radio in their airplane. So because of that, it's like you can't, there, I don't believe there is this blanket requirement to do radio work. Obviously flying in and out of Austin Bergstrom, you need to have a radio uh, because of the type of airspace. So... I don't think there is specifically radio work to be done. So I, I did want to mention something else. When we flew the other day, you and I, I let you take the controls for a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, oh, and that scared like, me. I was like, wait, what? I can do that? <laughs> you're like, turned us, it was for like yeah, a minute or two, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. you turned us in one direction and you turned us in another direction. In that little bit of time where you turned us, uh, you might not have even noticed it. We lost 100 feet of altitude. We did? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did just not notice t- that. Turning in one direction and turning in the other direction. That, that I just want to emphasize like how tight the tolerances are for when you could do get your pilot license. Like that was a hundred feet. Like you're, you're looking at busting <laughs> uh, your altitude already at that, at that, at that oh, point. It's scary. And I say scary as in like, it's pretty tight in the plane, right? There's like yes. room for two people really. And the controls, it's like everything's doubled and they're mechanically connected, right? on that plane. Right. They're linked. So every time you would move, you know, it would move in front of me. And I I was just thinking about that. And we talked, like, if you were flying with someone and they panicked or something and grabbed 
the controls, you'd have to fight them. Right. You'd get them off the controls. Yeah, because they have control of the plane at that point. Because which is just, you know, you think about um in a car or something, if there was a steering wheel that the other person could just if the, you're in an accident or something and they could grab control of it and then have equal control over the car. It's it that's that seems terrifying in a, in a way. Well, you, that, and you want to make sure you trust the, anybody you take up, you know, who's sitting in the in the seat next to you. Of course, obviously. And mm-hmm. um, if it comes down to it, you need to be prepared to, if like if it comes down to it, you need to be prepared to hurt them to save both your lives. Yeah, and and that's that's the, what we talked because I was like, well, what happens if someone panics and just like grips it and starts, you know? And you're like, well, you have to be able to like hit. What were you saying? Like that you that you, it didn't happen obviously with you or anything like that, but. Stories wise. Yeah. I have heard stories of uh, like flight instructors who, you know, have to fight their student to let go of the controls in order to, you know, recover the plane. Uh, it's not like a common occurrence or anything, but, you know, it's something you think about and it's something you, you're, you have to be, not that I'm an instructor, but you, know, you have to, it's something you learn to be prepared for in case the passenger uh, next to you wants to grab controls. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't even necessarily be someone trying to fly. It's just like someone panicking because of, mm-hmm. for whatever reason you want to hold on to something and it's right there or you want to feel like, I don't know. That was something I hadn't thought about, I guess, in being in one of those planes. It's like, oh yeah, anyone who's up there with you has... They can grab the controls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing you want to, uh, you know, kind of tangentially related to that is the other thing you want to be careful, or not careful about, the other thing you want to prepare passengers for is if something does go wrong. So I gave you a yeah. briefing. But it's like you want to tell them what to do without scaring them. Mm-hmm. It's like in the offhand chance that something goes wrong, like this is how you're going to get out of the plane. You know, this is what you can do. And, you know, you're going to exit and go in that direction. Don't go in that direction. Like, does all that sound okay? You know, it's, you know, when you get on a commercial plane, the flight attendants give you the safety demonstration, tell you how the seatbelts work and everything. And if but, you're in you exit know, row, then it's a little more. A little more, yeah. So it's like uh, when there's obviously there's no flight attendant. Like you said, there's no space. Uh, it's up to me to to tell you, you know, how the seatbelt works, or you know, how to adjust your air vent. Mm-hmm. You know how all you know how to get out of the plane uh, if something goes wrong. Yeah, and to prepare to tell you, oh, that's one of the things I did. It's like if something goes wrong and we don't have enough altitude, I'm going to land on that highway. And I pointed to you. We're going to land on that highway over there. Mm-hmm. If we have enough altitude. We're going to circle back. We're going to come to this runway over here. Yeah, and just like hearing. You know, because you think about being on a plane, it's like, it's almost like a, th- that, that like regimented like safety protocol, but like also you going through it, you know, like being like, hey, mm-hmm. here, here's, here's, here's the exit strategy. Mm-hmm. Or not even strategy, the exit rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so there's an acronym even I use for that. You, you didn't realize because I didn't tell you at the time, but it's safety. Seatbelts, air vents, fire extinguisher, exits, talking, yes. Oh yeah, you did all the. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great acronym. That one's easy to remember. Yep. Uh, so that that that's why. It's like so that's I didn't pull out a checklist for that because I know mentally. Oh, this is the acronym I need to go through. And that's, <laughs> that's what we did, and that's the order we went through it. Yeah. Okay. I want to go back to you. Get your license, right? What was the uh, what was the first thing you did after that? <laughs> the the first thing I did after that was I had to fly back to Austin <laughs> to Austin first. <laughs> well, so. I took my test at another smaller airport in the Austin area. I couldn't take it at Bergstrom. So I had to fly my, the plane, not my plane, I had to fly the plane from Bergstrom to this other airport, took my test, and then I immediately had to fly the plane back to Austin <laughs> Bergstrom. To get to that airport, did you fly with, how did you, did you fly the plane? Uh, I flew by myself. By that point, I could fly solo. Uh-huh. 
like that's sort of like as a student pilot, I was able, I had a solo endorsement where I could fly by myself. You're not allowed to fly with passengers, but I was, so I was able to take the plane and fly solo to the other airport to prepare to take the test over there. Okay. After that, the first thing I did, I, I, I immediately start, continued lessons, Chris. I immediately, <laughs> um, even though I have a license. So the kind of license I have currently allows for what we've, we've talked about this before. It allows for VFR flight. It allows you to fly under visual flight rules. So you have to, you stay clear of clouds. That's the big one, right? Stay clear of clouds. You have to be able to see the runway. You have to be able to see the, the ground. You cannot fly by instrument alone. The, I immediately began taking lessons to get an inch, what they call an instrument rating so that I can fly through clouds and I can file, you know, I can do what they call approaches where, you know, I'm sure you've seen, it. you look at the charts and it tells you how to fly and come in and land. So basically it allows you to fly in uh, much lower visibility. Uh, and I'm close to taking that exam. I'll, I, the, the holidays are kind of messing up my scheduling. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to have to en- end up taking that exam at the end of January. I feel like I'm almost ready for that one though. But yeah, and then hopefully once I get that one, then I'd be able to fly through clouds. So you, you said the inst- when you go with the instructor, you like you fly through clouds or you have little goggles that you put on that they're not goggles glasses that like block the yeah they call them they actually call them foggles <laughs> yeah and the, most of the time it's like glasses that people put on that obscure the upper portion so you can't look out the window but i have like little clip-ons since i already wear glasses uh-huh. i've got little clip-ons that just sit on my glasses and i just flip them down and it blocks my vision for everything outside the plate and i can only see inside uh at the instruments and that's how you train you have to have uh like 40 hours of either real instrument or simulated instrument time like that. And the other thing that what you needed to do is it for that same certification is make flights that are, what was it? 50 miles out far and then land and then come back. Right. So they call that, you need to have what they call cross country time. And a cross country flight is any flight where you fly and land at an airport. That's more than 50 miles away from your originating airport. So I need to find airports that are at least 50 miles away from Austin Bergstrom, fly, land there, and then come back. And then you build, you have to have so many hours of cross-country time. And that's what, that's what we did. You were doing, you were, you know, getting those hours in. Yeah. I need to lock 50 of those hours. And since I'm making these flights anyway, I just asked, I asked Chris like, Hey, do you want to come with me? I I, I did a two hour flight. You know, we flew out to an airport, did a touch and go, then immediately came back. So the airport that you flew into was this can you say what was the name of it yeah it was hern hern which is out i guess towards like college station it's real close to college station yeah and it's what was crazy to me about it was it's like a tiny little airport i did i don't know if anyone was there <laughs> it like, seemed at all. empty didn't it yeah there was no other planes no radio talk nothing there might not have been anyone like at all like even in the interior of anything and we we landed and then you didn't even stop. You just kept going and we, you know. They call it a touch and go. Yeah, yeah you land t- and then immediately reaccelerate and take off again. Which is cool. It's, <laughs> uh, it was fun. But yeah, it, it's just weird to me that it's like, oh yeah, here's this. There were all, so many more airports that I also that I thought that I didn't re- realize how many there were. I was going to ask you about that because I kept pointing them out as you were flying. Like, oh, look, there's a runway in an airport. There's a runway. There's a runway. Like yeah. as, as we're flying, just like. I'm keeping mental track of airports because like in case the engine does go out, like, oh, where can we land? Like there's, there's a runway there. There's a runway there. And that's, that's what was, because I think of airports traditionally in the sense of like, well, there's like, you know, a city might have one big one and maybe a small one, you know, and there's like, I could name them, right? But there were so many little ones that in the area around Austin that I had, I was like, what? There, 
there's an airport there. Well, why do they have an airport? And it's like all these you just don't even think about because it it's not not places that you maybe you might fly to if you're um, regional. But even then, a lot of those seem like who's flying to there? <laughs> like, why do they have an air? Why does that place have an airport? Like here in the Austin area, I bet you never even knew it, but Georgetown has an airport. Yeah, I didn't. That's a really busy airport. And that's just, I mean, I get it because Austin Bergstrom is kind of south. So yeah, and it's not, it's not like there's commercial, like you couldn't book a ticket to fly to the Georgetown airport, but there's flight schools. You know, it's like mm. where we went, you know, private planes and private jets land there all the time. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I wanted to, to fly with, like initially I had hoped we were going to fly west. The weather was a little more marginal to the west that day. So I didn't want to end up going in that direction. Uh, we had at the last minute, we changed and flew east out to Hearn. I wanted to fly you to an airport that didn't have a tower. And that was like, basically, like you said, not, not really very busy. So you could see that, oh, not all airports are like huge passenger terminals with big planes. There's tons of just small airports with, and that's the kind of airport you don't need a radio for. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you just go in and land and do whatever you need to do and take off. There's like, I, we didn't see them because we just did a touch and go, but there's self-service pumps there. Like you could put oh, yeah. your own gas in your plane there. Oh, and th- yeah, that was the thing was like, t- we talked about, it's like, oh, does it like cost to land in an airport? You know, like do you have to pay and you're like, well, some of them don't make you pay if you get gas. Yeah. And it's not really like paying to land. It's like paying to park is a better way to think. Yeah, of. I guess that was because I was like, yeah, yeah. If you if you landed and like went, you know, stayed for the night, what would you, you know, you have to rent a spot? Or? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, if we landed there and it's like we need to go to the bathroom, we could probably just park it and run in, use the bathroom and leave. Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't charge us for that. Oh, another thing that it was crazy. The gas prices were radically different in, I guess, Hearn versus Austin. Yeah. And that's like in the the app that I have that I use for like all the flight, you can look up the fuel prices. So for example, I just looked the fuel that we would use 100 LL in Hearn is $6.80 a gallon. But then here in Austin, the place where the flight school I go to gets their fuel, the, the fuel is $8.69 there. So it's two bucks and nine cents more. Yeah. The next building over from there, also at Austin Bergstrom, the gas there is nine dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> it's it's just weird to me to think about like, you know, you're driving in the car and you're like, oh, that that place has cheap gas. It's it's like the idea that it's within airplanes, just even like even next door to each other is crazy. I don't know. It's just weird to think about. Or you don't think about those things. Or I didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like one of the things that you do when you're planning these, you know, cross country flights. If you're actually going somewhere. Is you might look at the 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 multitude of uh, airports along the way and try to figure out which one has the cheapest gas. <laughs> oh, I just looked over at Houston Intercontinental Airport. Uh-huh. You can get gas there for six dollars and six cents right now. Dang. <laughs> Maybe it's because Houston. Houston's a big gas, big oil town. Yeah. Yeah. And then for anyone who's interested or currently taking classes or yeah, it's considered, what would you? Do you have any advice? I think the best advice I would give to anyone who's listening, whether or not like you're taking any pilot lessons or whatnot, is if you're at all interested in aviation, uh, I would highly recommend you find a flight school in your area and do what they call a discovery flight. It's like the introduction flight. It's like no obligation. You go up in one of these, you know, planes like Chris and I did. Uh, You go up with a flight instructor and uh, you get to see what it's like to do it for yourself. And the instructor will let you manipulate the controls and, you know, fly around for a bit. You typically, a discovery flight's like, 45 minutes or so. And it's a good way to gauge, you know, if it's something you want to try to pursue. 
that's that's how I got started. That's how most people, when you know you, you pursue a pilot license, that's what you do. You go take a discovery flight at a at a local school. And even if you decide it's not for you, I think it's a really cool experience to to take a look at these things Chris was talking about. This is you know you go through the same process. Yeah, I mean that I thought it was super. I mean I don't have any plans to learn how to fly, but just like especially after doing this podcast, and if you're listening to it, it's similar. Or there's it's it's an, a thing that's interesting and like just seeing it in person and like kind of going through it was super cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. I think it's a, it, it's a unique look at the the aviation industry. Even if you've been like a frequent flyer for many years, it's a totally different experience. And me, I, I, I went into this podcast knowing nothing about flying and, <laughs> and, and still know very little, but like having purely just done podcast. And so if you listen to all the episodes or close to it, or, you know, are listening, I was like, it was so cool to like see it in action, like mm-hmm. to be there, be like, oh yeah, we talked about this. Oh yeah, that's yeah. I know, you know, I know what that is. Yeah, like just, I was surprised by like how a lot I didn't know, and I, but I guess I I could see things, recognize and like identify, and it was cool. Well, I think we pointed out, you know, as we did the pre-flight and as we flew, I pointed out a lot of things that we talked about, like, oh yeah, here are the flaps, here are the ailerons, you know, mm-hmm. here are, you know all these different parts. This needs to look like this. This needs to look like that. If you don't know any of that, taking a discovery flight, like an instructor will show you all of that stuff and, and help introduce you to that. Well, and yeah, and even like things like when we were checking the fuel, because it, it was in, it's in, it was stored in both, both wings and you checked them both for yeah. like, see if water had gotten in and stuff. And, a, and then just like ch- doing those little like checks and things that it's like, there were so many things that you checked that I was like, oh, we've, there's an episode. Yeah. There's a reason you check those we things. We did an episode on, on an incident that because of this thing that we're checking now went wrong or they, it mm-hmm. wasn't checked or there was a, an issue, you know, things like that. And I was like, just seeing, being able to identify. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I was like, I was just seeing all those little checks and seeing them. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're all there for a reason. <laughs> you know it. All right. But I think we should probably wrap up. Man, we would, uh, th- this episode kind of flew through. We had, we were yeah. <laughs> just like well, the flute by just talking about these things. It went by real fast. Because there's, it, I don't know, it was really interesting to do it. I could, I could, we could talk for another hour. Maybe we probably will. We uh, will in the future. Yeah. In the future, because you're gonna, you're continuing to learn and yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget, like Chris said earlier, check out our uh, merch at store.roosterteeth.com or you can check it in our link tree. And uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, very soon with regular episodes. Yeah. And getting, getting merch or, or doing our premium where you get early episodes, so that really helps us just make the show. And so if you're yeah. enjoying listening to it, it really helps, and we appreciate uh, the support and great gifts for all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, everyone. Oh, 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 one more thing. Oh, what? I was going to say, um, if you're cool with it, I took a couple pictures while we were flying and stuff. We'll post it on our uh, social. Oh, yeah. We should totally do that. Yeah. Black Box Down Pod, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter. Yep. All that. Yeah. So I'll post a couple photos of, the, of our little flight. That's a great idea. So check it all out. Right. Bye. Bye.